Welcome back to Socialite Crime Club and part two of Hammerside. Let's catch up to where we left everybody off. I'm sure everybody's trying to figure out what happened. They've been thinking about it all week. Or they Googled it and ruined it. But either way. um, I'm sure they did. We are roughly around February 20th of 2009. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Dale Dale is dead. dead. Okay. Dale is dead at this point. Uh, Marissa's in the hospital because she was brutally beaten and dumped in a field. Mm -hmm. Alan, Marissa's boss, is allegedly the boyfriend to her dead stepfather who who died died of stomach cancer yep and stanley is stanley can't remember anything and apparently he has a nail biting issue that we recently found out yeah okay as well so let's figure out a little bit more of what's going on we continue the investigation and i'm in a trial by the way i I didn't talk about this and i didn't want to take up too much time with it but the entire time we're investigating this case i'm in actually a really high profile trial that's happening so in the during the day i'm working in the courtroom on this trial and then the evenings throughout the night working, i'm working this damn case moonlighting. yeah i'm trying to multitask like nobody else and i'm on lunch in the courtroom when i get a phone call from our dispatch who just got a phone call from a neighboring agency tempe police department reporting stanley is in their lobby and he wants to report a murder okay that happened in our jurisdiction. So Tempe's like, why don't you report the murder that you committed in their jurisdiction to them? Wait, you said that, that you committed. Is he saying that he committed the murder? He's the murderer. So he's going to Tempe PD to confess to the murder of Dale? Yes. And Tempe's why? like, yeah, that's not our jurisdiction. Why are you here? And he said, they don't believe me. <laughs> So he's still trying to confess to this murder. He's still trying to confess. So Oh, Stanley. I and I will take this one. It wasn't the best thing I could have said, but I pretty much was at fed up at this point with Stanley and I was uh-huh. like, I don't care what Stanley said. Send him home. We are not So did he come back to Gilbert PD to So yes, he comes to Gilbert Police Department. Okay. And then that's when detectives told you he's there. And I'm like, just send him home. Like, I'm done with this guy. I don't care what he has to say. He he can't remember anything. Like, tell him to go bite his nails at home and leave us alone. Like, we're busy. Okay. And they're like, well, Sarge, he has documentation this time. And I'm like, ah, shit. Documentation that he committed the murder? Yes. So they bring him into an interview room. And sure enough, he has several pages of a typed, written confession of how he killed Dale Harrell in order to save Marissa DeVault's life. The problem, he can't remember anything. And everything's spelled correctly. And everything is <laughs> great punctuation. So we knew he right from the get-go. He a comma. Yeah, like, what the hell? <laughs> and if you read part of, like, you could just pick a paragraph and pick a detail out of that paragraph and be like, well, okay, Stanley, tell me about this. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, well, you know, you wrote this right here. Like, expand on that. And he's like, I, I don't remember. Remember, I have a motorcycle head trauma accident. Well, like what? Do you remember anything that was in the letter specifically? Everything. He basically was saying that he killed Dale 
um, because of the ongoing abuse that he was doing to Marissa. Okay. And that Marissa was just trying to cover for him when she confessed later on. But he's the one who just took it to Dale when he was sleeping. Okay. Um, but like he couldn't provide any details. Now, there are some very clear facts in the letter that made it very clear. Like, okay, whoever wrote this, they were they were there. Like they're giving us. They knew exactly what happened. They're giving us evidence that we, we know from the blood evidence. That's how that happened. So how long did he play on the idea that he wrote the letter? Well, he played on it forever. We played on it for like two minutes. And then we're like, okay, okay he's completely full of it. And all right, you want to play this game, Stanley? Let's do it. And we get in his skizzies about how he killed Dale and he can't recall anything. Like he doesn't know. Even though the letter is right in front of him. Correct. And (laughs) it was the most absurd interview ever where you have a guy that's trying to tell you that he killed somebody and you're like, no, you didn't. (laughs) But I wrote it down. No, not only that, but you didn't write this. It's clear you didn't write this. You didn't type it. Okay. So we changed this interview. And the one thing is we're not dealing with a mental giant here, so it's pretty easy to control the narrative with Stanley. And we decide, let's change this. Hey, Stanley, who else wrote this letter with you? Okay. To which he says, well, yeah, Marissa helped me write it. From the hospital? No, 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 no. She wrote it with, I mean, we wrote it, but she wrote it, uh, um, yeah, she wrote it before she was assaulted. Stanley, that was like two weeks ago. You're trying to tell me that Marissa wrote this letter two weeks ago and you've just Mm -hmm. been sitting on it? Yeah. Well, where was it? What do you mean? Like, where did you write it? Oh, we were at Alan's house. (gasps) Why were you at Alan's house, Stanley? Well, because Marissa wanted Alan to proofread it. Oh, well, did Alan proofread it? Well, yeah, but Alan's really weird. Uh He can't proofread stuff on the computer. He has to print it. Oh, so you printed this at Alan's house. Oh, yeah, we printed it. But he can only print from his desktop computer, and we had it on his laptop. So he had to give us a thumb drive to put into the laptop so that we could save it to the thumb drive and then put it into his desktop, and then he could print it, and then he could proofread it. Well, did he make changes? Oh, yeah, he had some really good changes to make. Stanley's, like, just hitting a gold mine. Well, all of a sudden, he has a great memory because he doesn't realize what he's doing. Right. Now, That's what I'm saying. He's like a little gold mine. Yes. Stanley has no clue what he's doing. And okay. basically what he's done is he has articulated probable cause for us to go get Alan's laptop, the thumb drive, the desktop, and the printer. Because okay. we need to know, like, did Marissa write this? Is there multiple versions? When they changed it, what did they change? Like, all of that's evidence of this case yeah. now. So, yeah, immediately, search warrant, it's time to start writing. So I grab a detective, hey, start writing the search warrant. Um, hey, Stanley, how did you get here today? Oh, Alan dropped me off. <gasps> oh, oh well, okay. that's interesting. Well, how are you getting home? Alan said he'd pick me up. Do me a favor, buddy. Give Alan a call. Alan is such a nice guy. Such a nice guy. So Stanley calls Alan. Hey, Alan, can you come pick me up? And, uh, of course, we tell Stanley. Stanley, you're not going to wait out front. Just sit right here. Let's have Alan come in and get you. Mm -hmm. So Alan walks into the lobby and we're like, hey, buddy, we need to talk. And part of this is for us to figure out what's happening here. But the second piece of this is to delay Alan as much as we can. I don't want him to go home yet because we're writing the search warrant. Sure. So we interview Alan for about two hours. And it was a really difficult interview because he doesn't give up a lot. Super reserved. 
He admits that he and Marissa have a casual relationship. What does that mean? He will not define it beyond that. He's just He's like, like, we just kiss. He wouldn't even get into that. He just says, you know, it's a casual relationship. We met at a pizza place and we've carried on a relationship since there. And it's just but a casual relationship. He, he doesn't say anything about the potential real estate business. He or... doesn't have a real estate business. He confirms, no, I don't have a real estate business. I'm an accountant. Okay. And I, I do pay Marissa. She helps me out with things. That's right. What kind okay. of things? Oh, just things. Um, then he drops a bomb on us. Mm-hmm. He's not gay. Nor was he ever the gay lover to Marissa's dead stepfather. Did he know she was telling people that? He had heard that and he had kind of gone along with it because he didn't want to cause her any problems. But he made it very clear he doesn't even know Marissa's stepfather, alive or dead. Oh. So that's kind of interesting. And okay. then <laughs> he is aware that there is some type of big trust account that Marissa is supposed to inherit. But mm -hmm. again, very vague, won't go into details. And whenever we push on these things, he's like, well, I don't know. She didn't say, and I don't, so then I don't want to say something if, that's incorrect. If she doesn't work for him at a real estate company, he really doesn't have any access to this potential trust money that he's just being nice to her for. Why is he hanging around? You should be because a detective. Because of their casual, I should be a detective. <laughs> why, why are they just casually hanging out? He just likes taking her to Disney. She has a great personality. I don't know. Clearly. I don't know. He won't okay. get into it either. But at this point, I don't care. I've got my search warrant. So we basically race to Alan's house before he gets there and we execute the search warrant and we seize his computer, mm -hmm. his laptop, mm -hmm. thumb drive, mm -hmm. and a printer. Oh, okay. And about the time we're leaving, he pulls up and we explain to him, hey, okay. sorry, we had to seize these things. And he's like, nope, I understand. Oh. I've got to give it to he's Alan very right cooperative. here. Cool as a cucumber. This guy gave no indication that there was any issues. Like, yep, I understand. Do what you guys have to do. Okay. No big deal. All right. That's good. Inside, Alan had to have been shitting his pants. Why? We. Because the letter was there. Oh, the letter is so irrelevant at this point. We as a police department have no idea the treasure trove of insanity that we just seized. Okay. But it's a big computer. We have to do it right. It has to go to a lab where it's forensically extracted. There's a whole process. It's like it a, takes a tower, forever. You yeah. Said? And okay. it goes into like we're not we don't get to trump every other case there. So if they have ten other cases ahead, we have to wait. So all the computer stuff goes to this lab. We're waiting. It takes about three weeks. Okay. But then I get a phone call from my computer forensic examiner, and I know him very well. We've worked together for years. He's a really good examiner. And he's like, Hey, we need to talk. And I know when he says we need to talk. There's some good stuff. There's some good stuff. Now, I want to segue a little bit and paint the climate that we're dealing with when this is happening. Stanley's still trying to claim that he killed <laughs> Dale. And we've told him, go away and don't come back. We're done uh -huh. with you, Stanley. We're, sure. We don't want Just to. Just go home, Stanley. Yeah, we don't want to see you again. Go home and eat a Pop-Tart. <laughs> and then wash your clothes. Um <laughs> He is so frustrated with us. He goes to the media and uh. he tells the media, quote, I kill someone. I try to confess to my crime and no one believes me. And if that's not a sign of complete failure, I don't know what is. Where are my tax dollars going? Yeah. Why won't they arrest me? Oh, and by the way, Marissa told me that Wait, he the... doesn't pay taxes. He doesn't work. Oh, that's true. <laughs> 
But to really make it clear of how bad this is, Marissa even told me, if the PD doesn't believe me, it would be the first time in history the black man wasn't blamed. <gasps> yes. Oh, my gosh. Stanley's so, off the hook. So she's, now we realize why she's manipulating him. Why he's staying at her house for free. Oh, there's so much more coming here. So... Oh. Let's get to the computer. You bitch. Wow. (sighs) Okay, the forensic exam is done. The first thing I am revealed about the forensic exam is our computer forensic examiner has found an Excel sheet, a very, very lengthy Excel sheet. The Excel sheet is titled Money Given to Marissa DeVault. Oh my God. So I'll let you use your imagination to figure out what that one is. Okay. It is an ongoing running ledger that Alan Flores was keeping for every dime and actually every penny he ever gave to Marissa Duvall. And I'm telling you, there's entries in there, like stop by the store, got a gallon of milk for her. And he would take her a gallon of milk and it would have the price. The Disneyland trip or the Disney World trip. It's like three Mickey heads, three Mickey ears and eight churros. (laughs) Oh, and four Dole Whips. Yeah, I was gonna say, don't forget the Dole Whip, shit. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh. It's just under, dates are there. So it's just under two years. Okay. What do you think? Let's say she was a secretary. Mm-hmm. What would a, a secretary make in 2008, 2009? Mm, 40,000. Before taxes. Yeah, before taxes. So 40 if, to 50,000. So if he had paid her over two years, 80,000? That would be reasonable. $362,000. In 20 months. What else was he paying for beyond trips? Everything. Clothes? Clothes, cash, trips. There's a lot of just raw cash going out. Interesting. In addition to the Excel spreadsheet, he has promissory notes that Marissa has signed promising to pay back everything that's in the Excel document Mm -hmm. with interest. Oh my gosh. Life insurance documents. So this is why he's hanging around for her to get the money from stepdad. Potentially. But he also has copies of Dale's life insurance. Why would he have Dale's life insurance? It's a great question. Now, one of Dale's life insurance was for $500,000, and he had had it for years, like it's predated years earlier. However, the second... She had... Maybe she gave him that to show proof that she had money coming to pay him back. So there's two policies. The first policy is for $500,000. It's for Dale. If Dale dies, she gets $500,000. She's the beneficiary. Okay. He's had that one for years. The second policy she got in late 2008, it went effective January 1st of 2009, 14 days before Dale is attacked, Okay. $750,000. Oh. So she has insurance on Dale for $1.25 million. Wow. And all of this is on... Alan's computer, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Then we get into the sex slave contracts. Sex slave contracts. You know. Between her and Alan? It's not between Marissa. It's between all these other women. Alan is really into a master role in a sex slave contract. So he is contracting with these women where he hires them and then he wants to do all kinds of weird shit to them. But he doesn't want to go to jail or prison for doing it, so he makes them sign a contract. contract That they won't say anything. And that they're consenting to it. Where he's the master and they're the slave. 
Uh, Alan's into some freaky deaky shit. And he is no Christian Grey. <laughs> no. Like, you mean the way he looks? Yeah. We're going to get into that here in a minute. Yes, you are correct. Uh, we find his social media dating site history. Mm-hmm. Alan's really into this website called SeekingArrangements.com. Okay. Which I'm it's gonna, like a dating website. Yeah, but I had to do a whole other piece on that. So just remember that. I'm going to come back to that one. Then we get into the secret video recordings. Alan's freaky deakiness. That are found on his computer. He is hiring sex workers left and right. He brings them home. He has, when I say crazy, I'm going to spare the audience here. He has crazy, weird, disgusting sex with them. And he's it's secretly. It's literally crazy shit. It is literally crazy shit. And he is secretly recording all of his encounters. <gasps> which opens the door to a whole other investigation because it's very clear the women do not know to include Marissa. So he and Marissa are having sex, weird sex. Did you guys actually not find a sex slave contract between him and Marissa? Not between him and Marissa. Not saying that one doesn't exist. he's just paying her then. Yeah, he's just, well, clearly. Well, we'll get to that. This part gets weird and... You have to understand, and as we go through, it's going to be really clear. So we're just trying to follow the investigative timeline. Yeah, and we are dealing with a master when it comes to manipulation and control. An absolute master. So I'm going to get to what that relationship is, but we're just now finding out the connection. But yes, Alan and Marissa are having regular, ongoing, crazy sexual escapades and some of the shit like you don't want to see. So Dale was right that he should be jealous. He absolutely, well, and it kind of changes the picture on poor Marissa, this housewife who was just in this horrible relationship, right? Like $362,000 in less than two years. So she's, she's using this relationship. It sounds like actually to make Dale jealous in a lot of ways. And to make $362,000. Oh, did I mention the child porn? On Dale's, on, I'm sorry, on getting everybody mixed up on the computer. <laughs> that had the exact desired effect I was hoping for. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> didn't no, mention there's this. child porn? There is child porn. Um, like that he took pictures of? No, it's oh. it's clearly stuff that he's downloading off the internet. However, in Arizona, Arizona is no joke when it comes to child porn. We do not tolerate it here. Um, it is a mandatory 10-year minimum sentence for each image. And you have to serve them consecutive. So if you have three images, you're going to prison for 30 years. Okay. If you have 100 images, by the letter of the law, you're going for 100 years. Because it's such an extreme law, the county attorney's office is actually mandated. They won't charge more than six images. So I'm just going to say he had way more than six images, but it doesn't matter after the sixth image. Um, Given his age, he's in his mid-50s at this point. He is looking at a natural life prison sentence just on the child porn alone. We have Alan over a barrel right now. Mm-hmm. And he knew this when we walked out with all of his stuff. And like I said, cool as a cucumber, but he knew what was on these computers. He had to know that we were going to find it. I want to go back to seekingarrangements.com. Okay. I got a picture of Alan here. His is younger days, clearly. Yeah, he, has, he still has some hair up here. Yeah. Um, So SeekingArrangements.com, it's a sugar daddy site. And if you're not aware of a sugar daddy site, it's where very wealthy men will basically look for young, attractive females who are willing to have sexual relationships for compensation. Um, SeekingArrangements.com is no longer. They're now Seeking.com. 
Okay. And the reason they changed their name is they've been connected to so many freaking murders <laughs> that they had to stop going under seeking arrangements and start using seeking. Like, if any of you are using this site that are listening, stop. People are dying left and right because yeah. of these arrangements. Well, I'm wondering which person typically dies. Is it the... A little bit of both. Really? A, a little bit of both because you see the females who are very manipulative who are taking advantage of these people and sometimes killing them once they get in. You're also seeing some blackmail where these females are trying to blackmail these very wealthy men and then the wealthy men just kill them because they don't want to be exposed. Um, mm -hmm. Anytime you are adjoining a site and part of that website's homepage is safety considerations that explain to women that, hey, when you do go on this date with this guy, make sure your phone is fully charged and turn your locations right. on before you leave the house. Or explaining to the man the same thing. <laughs> Maybe you should give a little pause to, well, hang on. <laughs> why am I joining this website? Yeah. Yeah. Who am I dating again? And why do they have these, these rules? Or Yeah, and I can't say that this is the picture that uh, Alan had on his seekingarrangements.com, but he That's was using this for some other social media. Because who would click on that? <laughs> You wouldn't? Like, no. Is no. there any number out there? Like, what's your number if you want to go mean, down that number? road? The only reason people are clicking on this because they're going to get paid by him to go oh. have a relationship. Oh, so well, I guess I they just say don't. everybody has a number. I don't know. It'd be it'd have to be a lot. You want to move on? You seem very yeah, uncomfortable let's move right on. now. I am uncomfortable. <laughs> so okay, it's time to talk to Alan again, and uh, we have enough this time. That Alan, it's time. No bullshit. It's time to come clean. You okay. are potentially going to prison the rest of your life um, because these are only images you downloaded from the internet, not images you took yourself. Mm -hmm. We could work some type of a deal here, okay. um, but you've got to be honest. Alan proceeds to drop the bomb on this case. It's another gold rush. Yeah. So number one, he's been doing a lot of research. Um, Marissa's dead gay stepfather who died of stomach cancer isn't gay and isn't dead and has never had cancer. <laughs> okay. He's very much alive. And is, does he have any money? He's broke as shit. Oh. He's dirt poor. <gasps> this has to be quite a blow to Alan. There is no trust fund. There is no $8 million trust fund. He's done some research. He was told the story by Marissa early on that not that he was dating his dad or her stepfather, uh -huh. but that the stepfather had stomach cancer, died, and had this big trust fund that she was going to get. That's why he was so willing to loan all this money to Marissa, is he felt... He figured he was going to get paid back. He was going to get paid back and when she got paid. she's just leading him on. Yeah, and there's it's just complete insanity. But the reason he started investigating this is in early January, she came to him and asked him for $7,000. Mm -hmm. And when asked why, she needed money to hire a hitman. And when she, Alan's like, well, who are you hiring a hitman for? This is where she explains the abuse from Dale and that she's going to have Dale killed. And this is when he gives her a gun to protect herself. But at the same time, after she leaves, Alan puts two and two together and is thinking, she owes me a lot of money. Oh, my God, is she hiring a hitman for me? Or right. for Dale. So he's actually explaining. So now he's scared. He's worried, like the first couple of weeks of January, that she's getting ready to kill him. And that's why he's documenting everything so well on his computers. So that if he dies, Law enforcement there's some it. evidence of what she was doing. And mm -hmm. who cares about all the other stuff at that point, right? Yeah. 
he actually tells us when Dell was the one that was attacked, he was actually relieved. So thank God it was Thank God me. it was Dell and not me. So we wow. obviously we ask, well, wait, hang on, back up $7,000 hitman. Like what'd she tell you? Well, there was this friend, I don't know his name. It's Tatro or Tato or something like that. But mm -hmm. he used, he was a bouncer at a strip club she worked at and he, she's had a long ongoing relation. And we already knew the guy because of the investigation. It was Travis Tatro. Okay. And he worked at a strip club. He was a bouncer that Marissa worked for. And they had had a sexual relationship on and off for years. She, right. I feel like she's... Pretty much any male in her life that we're talking about, she's had some type of relationship with. Yeah. Um, the secret cameras or the hidden camera. It's very interesting. It's not a hidden camera. It's an nanny cam. Okay. Because it's an nanny cam, he didn't feel like it was a secret camera. But it's... Did the women know? Hidden. No, they didn't know. Nanny yeah. cams are supposed to be <laughs> hidden. So you get it. <laughs> yeah. I think that was him just trying to clean it up. Um, obviously, uh, because of this, we had to write a second search warrant. Okay. Um, and we seized all of the video tapes, both VHS and DVDs. There was a poor detective who had to sit down and go through all of them because we'd never know what we're going to find, right? Like, so where did he have all of these DVDs and in his VHS? closet, which I haven't mentioned yet, the porcelain doll collection. He collects porcelain dolls in his master bedroom around the top of the wall. You know, where like where crown molding would be at the top where the wall yeah. meets the ceiling uh -huh. about a foot below the ceiling, all the way around his room. He had a shelf that ran all the way around his room. And there's just porcelain dolls. Hundreds. Like in boxes or on those no, little doll stands? Like on little doll stands. It was creepy as shit. I didn't want to be in there. I was like, I'm not going to do this. Did they all kind of like look similar or did No, they just, just like every porcelain doll you could imagine. Like some of them very old, some of them very new, like you could tell. That's creepy. This is why it's awesome to be a sergeant. As you walk into that room and you're like, nope, ain't doing this. You guys figure if this I out. I'll be outside. If any of the women who were like in some weird agreement with him, I would leave immediately. I didn't see a lot of the video because like I was repulsed immediately. But the little bits of video that I did see, the porcelain dolls were the last thing these chicks needed to worry about. It was terrible. Terrible. Oh my gosh. Um, so yeah. Did he mention his doll collection? No, and I didn't ask because I don't want to know. There's just some. No, there's some things you can't unhear or unsee, and I don't want to know. More importantly, he's giving her seven thousand dollars for a hitman, weeks before Dale is attacked by her. Okay. So we go contact Travis Tatro. Okay. Here's a picture of Travis. Huh. Um, okay. And uh, I've got to frame this. He looks like he could be a bouncer. I'm going to summarize what my recollection is of Travis. And I could have part of this wrong, but I think I'm pretty accurate here. Travis is really into like some satanic devil worshiping lifestyle stuff. Okay. Um, he's a bouncer at a very seedy strip club. Like it ain't a nice strip club. Like it's a pretty nasty strip club. Okay. Um, he does kind of have this little daunting appearance, uh, the way that he looks. Um, and he's just, he's into a lot of weird stuff. Okay. He is the most normal person we interviewed in this investigation. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he comes right out and he's like, yep, I figured you guys would be up here sooner or later. Yep. She came to me. She offered me $7,000 to kill her husband, Dale. Mm -hmm. And I said, wait, you want me to kill your husband, Dale? Mm -hmm. And she was like, yeah, my husband, Dale. Did he know yeah, Dale? he's met Dale. He's met Dale, okay. And actually, that's a great question. He actually explains that previously, 
Marissa had told him years ago that Dale was abusive towards her. And when he met Dale, Dale put his hand out to shake his hand. And Travis tells him, I don't shake pieces of shit that beat their wives. (gasps) And he said, I could tell by his reaction, he didn't know what I was talking about. What did he do? Like he backed up and he's like, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never. And he's like, I could tell it was so genuine the way he reacted, though. He had no idea what I was talking about. It just right. so he started questioning Marissa's back or Marissa's statement about Dale being abusive back sure. then. But to get back to the whole thing, he's he's really perplexed. Like, I don't understand. You want me to kill Dale? And she's like, Yes, I don't know what you understand. Like, kill my husband Dale, the same Dale that you told me died of stomach cancer three years ago. Oh my God! What is her thing with stomach cancer? I don't know. But she was carrying on an affair with Travis, and at some point during the affair, she actually told him that Dale had died from stomach cancer, but she forgot. I don't know. Maybe she got a little bit of Stanley shit going on. You know, when you start lying a lot, it's easy to forget your lies. So uh, he actually says, and I got to love this guy for this. He's like, as soon as I was asked to kill a guy who came back from being dead and slapping his wife around, I was out. And he said that on the stand. Yeah, he said it on the stand as well. He's like, no, I want nothing to do with it. Get out of here, you crazy bitch. Um, (laughs) So he backs down, luckily. But yeah, interesting of all the characters, like the guy you would think was the most honest, upfront, like the most straight shooter we found in the entire investigation. You wouldn't think that it'd be this guy, but he is. He even went to court and like, like a nice tie. Well, I, I did get a kick out of the fact that he, he has a vest on too. So like yeah, he wore he a black a jacket, black shirt, black vest with a red tie. <laughs> yeah. And he has his bull ring in his nose. His little bull ring. And he's got that beard with a like little man knot or whatever they, uh-huh. what do they call that knot that comes down out of your beard. I don't know what that is. You have to go to YouTube to see this. But yeah, Tap, yeah. Travis Tatra, I got to be like, he he's, looks, he's a legit. I, I like this guy. He came to court looking a lot nicer than a lot of people who show up to court. Well, you remember the Wee Wee case. You should have yeah. seen the line that was in the hall for Wee Wee. Yeah. I've seen people show up for court in like little hot pants and yeah. Yeah. tank tops. It's crazy. Okay, so now everything is opening up. We're starting to see like, okay, Marissa is way more involved here than we knew. I mean, we suspected, but now we're getting the proof. She's way more manipulative than what we thought. Well, and when we talk about manipulation with Alan, hey, how did you meet? And sure enough, she had a profile on Seeking Arrangements. He did run across her profile on Seeking Arrangements. He tries to change the story that they just ran into each other in a pizza place, but it was through seeking arrangements. Mm-hmm. The first time they went out, he admits they had sex. And afterwards, he offered to pay Marissa. And she told him, no, I feel a connection with you. Don't pay me. Like, don't, I, don't want, I don't want our relationship to be based on that. And he was like, oh, my God, I feel a connection too. And he so got she's starting in. her manipulation of him. She started weaving the web. Within Mm -hmm. weeks, he is giving her money hand over fist under this loan disguise. And if you think about $362,000, like if they were having sex every other day and he was paying her $1,000 a day, he wouldn't have spent that much money. So she is smart enough and manipulative enough to get him into this scam where she's making three times the money she would normally make. And he's a smart guy. Well, I think he's got the common sense of a box of rocks street smarts yeah he i think he's very naive 
and he got sucked into this thing bad. Now, at the same time, we're starting, he, he unveils a lot about Stanley too. Stanley's way more involved than we know. And we need to talk to Stanley about the assault on Marissa, that Stanley's involved. Okay. So we go straight from Alan's interview to Stanley's. Okay. And this time we change things a little bit. Instead of Stanley coming to us trying to lie about stuff, we just show up at his house one night. And he's still living at Marissa's house. They haven't foreclosed her. They haven't, like, kicked everybody out. The kids are at the grandparents. Dale's dead. Marissa is in the hospital slash going to jail. Uh-huh. So Stanley just has run of the house by himself now. So he's just living large. Oh, my gosh. And we get in the house, and we start confronting Stanley. And we tell him, like, hey, we know what's up. Like, here's what happened with Alan. He's like, oh, my God, you guys know Okay, you know everything. Yeah, you know we know I'm everything. Not dumb. You know I'm not as forgetful as yeah. yeah. So, hey, what's up with Marissa's attack? Like, we know you're involved. You can either be a really good witness right now, or we're gonna make you one hell of a suspect. Mm-hmm. Witnesses tell us what's happening. Suspects lie and go to jail. And uh, he he buys into it, and he's like, "All right, I'm gonna tell you guys everything." Marissa has a public defender. Oh, good luck. Yeah, good luck with that. And she knows this. Okay. Alan has cut her off cash-wise. Dale's no longer working. They're behind on all their bills. She has no money. Mm-hmm. She does some research, and she has a life insurance policy. It's like 100000 But she finds a clause in her life insurance policy that if she is either paralyzed or she loses a limb... They will pay out 75%. That's a $75,000 payday. So she thinks this is going to pay for what? What is this? It's going to pay for her to get a good attorney to get her off the hook of going to prison for the rest of her life. And then she'll start fixing things from there. She just wants money for for a good attorney. And she needs a good attorney. So it's a legitimate concern. She does need a good attorney. A really good attorney. So she tells Stan... Stan, I want you to shoot me, but not to kill me. I just want you to paralyze me. So I'm going to lay down on my stomach, and you're going to shoot me in my spine right at the small of my back. And Stan's a complete idiot, but even Stan's like, "Um, Marissa, there's a good chance that's going to kill you. This isn't a good idea. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. And she's like, no, I think it'll be okay. And the only gun they have at the time, because we seized a lot of guns, is apparently they came across an AK-47. So she wants him to shoot her in the back with an AK. Yeah, and even Stan's (laughs) like, this is the dumbest fucking plan I've ever heard. (laughs) Or the best plan, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm kind of pulling for Stan just to go through with it. We would have saved a lot of taxpayer dollars on this one. Um, But even Stan's like, I can't do it, Marissa. Like, no, I just can't do it. So after many cigarettes and lots of conversation, they come up with plan B. Okay. Marissa, take like just enough pain medication that it doesn't kill you and then lay down on the concrete and I will take a 16 pound sledgehammer to your ankle repeatedly. Oh my God. And he lays her down in the garage and he beats the shit out of her ankle with a sledgehammer with her consenting the entire time. Was there evidence of this in the garage? Was yes. Like the garage yes. Body? The sledgehammer was there. There, You could see the area where it happened. hundred percent. He took us he out there and cleaned tr- it up. Well, I mean, Stan, <laughs> he's busy. <laughs> he's got games to play. However, this is probably the best part of Stan's story is he's like, well, so yeah, I, her ankle is just a floppy mess, but then who would believe that she got jumped and attacked and they just beat up her ankle? Uh-huh. 
So to make it look real, she's like, Stan, you got to punch me in the face. (laughs) (laughs) So Stan tries to punch her in the face. It's not very hard. And he's like, she's like harder. And then Stan basically makes her face a punching bag because he can't get it right. And he just sits there and beats the shit out of her face, like punching her face until he breaks her jaw. And then she's like, that's it. She's just a glutton for punishment. And then she has him take her out and dump her in the field. And she did lay there for hours before she called 911 to try to make it look legit. She's like, punch me just one more time. Yeah, hit me harder, Stan, you big pussy. Yeah. (laughs) Now, if that's not crazy enough, we're in the kitchen during this entire conversation with Stan. Uh And there's a parrot. And I don't remember the parrot when we went over there the first time. But this time there's a parrot. And I swear to God, I'm not making this up. The parrot meows like a cat. The entire... So as Stan is explaining this theory about, I should shoot her with a gun. It's not going to work. Okay, let's. that's a bad theory. Let's go with something that's real. Mm -hmm. And then they come up with a plan of beating her with the sledgehammer and then punching her in the face. Uh The whole time, there's a parrot over my my shoulder meowing. Like, and cacaoing at the same yeah, time? Yeah, Yeah, it was the craziest shit. And I even remember at one point turning to one of the detectives with me, and I'm like, like, this is, this is even bunker. Real? Yeah, what is happening right now? Um, so, all right, we cut a deal with Alan. Alan's going to testify against Marissa. And uh, this actually went all, he got an attorney, a very high-powered attorney. Uh, the Maricopa County uh, Attorney's Office actually got involved. Uh, he's going to be given immunity as long as he tells everything truthful on the stand about uh, what Marissa's plans were. right Stanley we're gonna cut him a break we're not gonna charge him for anything but he also has to testify in the stand but what do you think Stanley's gonna remember nothing, nothing. yeah so he's worthless uh, Tatro he's more than happy to testify <laughs> like he can't <laughs> wait for his day in court um, so we are going to go to court now defense is going to stick with self-defense in fact they're gonna categorize this as a rage killing and mm. it was all of her rage from this years of abuse finally just boiled over and that she they can't prove. exploded. That she, and I got to be honest, this defense attorney, terrible, absolutely terrible. And I'm going to get into that here in a minute. Okay. The trial was a complete circus. Um, however, the judge was not putting up with any bullshit. Some of you out there probably remember Jody Arias. Mm-hmm. Same court, same judge a year earlier was the Jody Arias fiasco. Mm-hmm. So this time the judge is like, nope, I'm not putting up with any nonsense. He reprimands both the prosecutor and the defense attorney on a regular basis in open court when they start to get into like dramatics. Sure. Because he just doesn't want to deal with it anymore. Like Jody Arias was enough for all of us. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of it was just such a waste of time and energy oh, for the entire courtroom, the jury, everybody. Everybody. Alan's testimony, at least a lot of his, his most of his cross and all of his direct is actually online. It's in YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's disturbing. He sits there like it's nothing, explaining slave contracts, the hidden camera, nanny cam. Like he's just he has he brings a big gulp, sets it up on the witness stand. Oh my god! He's just sitting there sucking from the big gulp and testifying to this stuff like it's just a Thursday, like it's no big deal. It's it it's it's incredible to watch. The defense, though, I want to go into a couple things. The defense said number one. Uh, the police department didn't do their job. That was his number one defense. Because if we had done our job, we would have found the long history of domestic violence. But you did do your job. Well, but at no point does he say, if they would have done their job, they would have found this. 
Right. He just says they didn't find the domestic they violence. They would have found her head fractured. Yes. They would have found. Yeah. He ignores all the things we found to disprove it. And he just simply says, if the police department would have done their job, they would have found domestic violence. Well, there was. He never defines what they would have no. found in DV. Yeah. Um, he actually changes the narrative a little bit and says mm -hmm. that he thinks Alan Flores might be the one that actually is involved and potentially killed Dale Harrell. Just to throw a red herring in there. Mm. Um, Tatro isn't a hitman um, because he testified on the stand that he wasn't a hitman. So all of that is just nonsense. Why would she go to somebody to hire him to be a hitman if he's not a hitman? And then this defense attorney actually says, and besides, we all know how easy it is to find a hitman. You just go into some of these seedy places, you can find a hitman anywhere. <laughs> because he goes looking for him every night. I think the whole courtroom was like, Wait, what? What did you How just say? How did you know that? And he's gonna he's gonna say even dumber things as he goes. Someone who is lying can't lie about everything. So when they kept painting this picture that Marissa is just this like compulsive liar who's literally everything that comes out of her mouth is a, a lie. lie. Mm -hmm. His defense to that is well, no, some of it's truth because you can't lie about everything. <laughs> oh I, my gosh! Um, you'll like this one. This is a domestic violence case. Uh -huh. And as we know, when domestic violence cases get violent, it's always the male that perpetuates the violence, not the female. This, he's saying this. He's saying this in his closing arguments. Okay. According to who? According to him in his closing mm -hmm. arguments. Okay. Um, blood, the blood evidence in this case, because it's so overwhelming, he has to attack it. So in his closing arguments, he says, you heard in testimony that the blood stains were just chaotic. They're just all over the place. Mm -hmm. That's chaos is rage. <laughs> if it was planned, the blood evidence would have been better organized. Oh my God. How do you organize blood evidence? And the other problem he has is Marissa had talked openly to Tatro, Stanley, and Alan about killing Dell. So he has to deal with how, how do I justify to my jury the fact that mm -hmm. my client is talking about, openly talking about so killing just, her husband. So he's just willing to make things up as Marissa is at this point. Yes, but he has to deal with this, right? Like this mm -hmm. is a big issue because she's telling everybody she's going to, she wants him dead. She's going to kill him. So he says, we can't, just because someone says that they want their spouse dead, we can't hold them against them. Everybody in this courtroom at some point has thought about killing their spouse. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Actual well, statement. Do you remember what the jury responded with? Like, how did they look? Because well, juries will I wasn't in the courtroom, away, and they, re they prohibit the jurors from being on camera because the, you don't want to know who they are. Um, uh -huh. I have seen a couple of interviews of jurors, and they're just like, this guy was over the top. Like, he just completely just like, what do you do with that? The jury is going to convict her. Um, first degree murder. This is a death penalty case. Um, so because it's a death penalty case, as soon as they convict her of first degree murder, there's a second phase of the trial to decide, does she do natural life or does she actually get the death penalty? She uses her kids to try to convince the jurors and the judge that she needs to live. It's, it's disgusting. But what comes out in this- In her statement, she says- No, she brings her oldest child in to come testify. <gasps> That's terrible. I don't want to get into it because okay. I, I, I respect yeah. the children more than that. Um, it's just really gross. However, as part of this death phase, um, there's psychologists involved. Okay. And they get an opportunity to do some physical and mental examinations of Marissa. Okay. 
Uh, Dr. DeMarte, she's really popular, super smart. Uh, she gets involved in a lot of these criminal cases. She did the Jody Arias case as well. And she diagnosed Marissa, the antisocial personality disorder. It's also known as being a sociopath. sociopath. You knew that. I did. Yeah. Intentionally makes others upset, treats others harshly with cruel indifference. There's a complete lack of remorse and there is no regret to her behavior. But more importantly, Dr. DeMarte was reviewing jail calls. So when you're in jail, you can still mm -hmm. make phone calls. And for those of you who haven't received a call from somebody in jail, <laughs> when you answer the phone, it says, this is a it's collect call from so-and-so from the Maricopa County Jail or whatever jail facility. This call is being recorded. Well, apparently Marissa didn't give a shit. And Dr. DeMarte is actually listening to her phone calls or a lot of her recorded phone calls where she's making fun and making light and laughing about Dale's homicide, mm. which is it's pretty sad when you think about it. She's also telling people about her prior abuse on the phone where she claims that her mom was extremely abusive towards her and her stepfather, who is still alive and is not having any type of stomach cancer, sexually assaulted her multiple times when she was a child. Okay. The defense Which also. I'm sure leads into her behaviors as an adult now with her. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise partner me if, and if it actually her happened. Children, hundred you know? percent. And the defense has the opportunity to have her evaluated by a psychologist as well, who also confirms that she probably was abused as a child uh, by both of her parents. But this is where things take a weird turn. She's Dale's legal wife. She had Dale cremated. Even though she's in prison or getting ready to go to prison. She is refusing to turn over Dale's ashes oh to his God. family. Like even in death, she's manipulating him. Yes. And coercing him. The only way she will turn the ashes over to Dale's family is if they agree her children will be raised by her parents. They have to give full custody to her parents. Why would she do that? Well, DeMarte brings this up and just fillets her on the stand of... If you're truly abused as a child by your mother and you're sexually abused by your stepfather, as you claim in recorded phone conversations, why would you set up your kids to be raised by the same? Like, this is just how demented she, she is. is. Yeah. And that lack of remorse, even towards her own children. Like, That's why what would I'm you saying. Them? She's still being manipulated. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Um, obviously, all this is going to, the ship's going to write. Uh, they do not get custody of the children. The Dale's family does get his ashes eventually. However, because of the children, they do not give her the death penalty. She gets natural life. Um, so she will never get out of prison. She, uh, she's not eligible for parole at all. Mm -hmm. You know, I do have an alternative theory to this case that I wanted to throw up at the end here. Okay. The handgun in Stanley's pocket was one thing that always concerned me. Like if we found it in the house. Yeah, because the gun never really came up again. Yeah, it was just like, oh, I put it in my pocket. But he doesn't, he did later admit he doesn't normally walk around with it. I think that they had this thing set up and instead of the hammer being used, that Stanley was supposed to come in and shoot Dale and be the savior, if you would, of this attack. Mm -hmm. um, very similar to, hey, just shoot me, Stanley, for my insurance. Sure. And so I think that the original plan was probably Stanley was supposed to shoot Dale that night. But of course he forgot. So he, they had this whole plan. He went to his bedroom. Then he like started playing video games. Interesting. That and then really uh, interesting. she ends up killing Dale with the hammer. And then she comes in. What the hell, Stanley? He's like, oh, sorry, I forgot. 
Oh, that is an interesting theory. Yeah. So here's Marissa today. Here's a picture. We'll definitely make sure YouTube gets this. Uh, okay. She is now known as inmate 291755 in the Arizona Department of Corrections. Hmm. Uh, Arizona Department of Corrections does this really cool thing where they list like all of the work experience, but also like uh, infractions, like if you get in trouble. Okay. So and I went through. This is her work experience. This is her work experience here. And she does a lot of religious stuff. So like she's doing some Jewish services. There's just like a choir? yoga, a choir. Uh, a peer group counselor for criminal and addictive behaviors, which was like a program I found that helps reduce recidivism. Um, which we don't have to worry about with her. Yeah, no, I, she will not reoffend, at least not outside of the prison. Okay. But you see this and you're like, okay, well, maybe she's like reconnecting. She choir yoga and she's doing some religious studies. Okay. But almost overlapped at the same time. Is she Jewish? Uh, maybe she is now. She wasn't then. I don't know. She's um, doing Jewish I think she's thoughts. a little bit of everything. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but when you look at her, um, like what she's getting in trouble for, she has fighting, disorderly conduct. Wait, when did she go to prison? What was her... In 2014, like almost immediately upon arriving, she got a charge of disruption count or being out of place. And if you're not familiar with that, what that means, it means that at night when they count all the heads in the beds to make sure nobody escaped that day, her head isn't in the bed. Like it's a problem. <laughs> She's clinging to the wall outside. Stanley, I told you to be here. Yeah, and Stanley, you're like, wait, I forgot. I forgot. Um, she got in trouble for bartering or trading, disorderly verbal, uh, written order. It looks like in 2015, she had a pretty good year. She didn't have anything in Yeah, she had a little gap. 2015, 17. And then during COVID, it looks like she was laying low again. Uh, but like in 2016 there, there's promoting prison contraband. <laughs> <laughs> like she's actually Jenny on the block when it comes to the prison. Like she's, she's not running a role model prisoner, is she? No, well, she she's not going anywhere. Like, what does she have to be good for? Right. right. Um, so yeah, that brings us to the end of Hammerside. But I wanted to take just a second to address the domestic violence part of this. And once again, my amazing wife uh, says genius things that when I hear it, I'm like, holy shit, I missed that. And we were having a conversation about this episode, and I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts on this, but after you were explaining like what you're seeing from the domestic violence side, you mm -hmm. hear the word domestic violence and you think physical beating, physical injury. Right. No, And it, it dismisses the importance of realizing, understanding manipulation and control. And coercion. And I remember during the trial here and then also doing a lot of review on this case, the defense was really setting themselves up to be attacked on this and the prosecution completely missed it. You know, the defense is making this case that, well, the police department just didn't look hard enough. If they would have looked harder, they would have found Dale was extremely abusive to Marissa. And the prosecution really didn't have an answer. This is why you probably should have been consulting for them because when you explained it to me, I'm like, Man, what a better way to paint the picture of, well, let's see, of all the people involved in this case, who is manip manipulative and controlling? Like, mm -hmm. how is Marissa's relationship with Dale on that front? How is her relationship with Stanley? Like, right. this guy was willing to take the fall. Well, not only was she the, the violent act, she was... Sounds like she was very financially coercive right. of people. Not just Alan was she financially coercive of, but she sounds like she was also very financially coercive of Dale because I'm curious how much he actually knew of how much they were in debt. Right. And she probably coerced a lot of financial things over him and held 
her position of making more money than him over right. his head. And she was probably also very sexually coercive of him by making him jealous of being with Alan, probably by coercing him into having sex to put him to sleep. It can get really, really strange the way that people will use coercion in a relationship. Yeah, but and as you explain that to me, it just it, it resonated because I'm thinking, well, in court, like literally all the prosecution has to do is be like, well, what the hell are we talking about? Like who is in the courtroom today that's the most manipulative person you've ever heard in your life? Mm -hmm. And like, why are we talking about who's controlling this relationship? Right. But they didn't even hit on it. And I think it's it's really important for you to kind of explain that or at least give an idea that it's not the violent part necessarily, it's that control piece. It's the piece where somebody has to ascertain so much control over their their partner, their intimate partner. Also, what kind of gets me in this case is that now we set this tone for women who are actually truly victims of domestic violence, who not only are they getting physically beat every day, um, to the point that they're unrecognizable, that it's just a normal part of their life and they're already fearful to come forward. But now we have this defense attorney who's claiming this rage event on a person who is truly an abuser. Right. And it's a rage event with somebody like Marissa that if anybody looks at this case, they're like, okay, she's out of control. So now the next time you hear this defense, people are going to write it off. It just diminishes right. the, a real victim. Like it, it truly damages violence. the criminal justice system. Well, not only does it damage the criminal justice system, but when this person who is truly fighting for their life, it diminishes what they're fighting for. You said something, too, that was really profound to me about in these type of relationships, when the women do actually perpetuate any type of violence, it's when men are most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And again, like that epiphany moment, I've had cases where men are sleeping, uh, the Jody Arias case. He was perfect, in the shower. Perfect was, example. It was a very vulnerable moment. Um, the Bobbitt case, she cut his penis off while he was asleep. asleep. So they'll, these women will perpetrate extreme violence, which it's, self-defense is already really hard to prove in a court of law because you have to be showing that you're fighting for your life, right? right. When you kill somebody right. in self-defense. When somebody is asleep and really vulnerable, it's very, very difficult to show self-defense. Which is why you have to try to plan it with Stanley. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do feel bad for Dale because I do really believe that he was suffering a lot of domestic violence under the hand of Marissa, that he just didn't even realize he was suffering and that nobody else picked up on because... For men, it's just, hey, get your shit together. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you said that right here at the end. And I really hope his family at some point listens to this episode. And I know we make fun of a lot of the case because it is just insane. It's crazy. But it, the craziness of this case capitalized what people focus on. Um, as the supervisor over the criminal investigation, I can tell you everything that I saw, Dale was actually a really good guy. Like, he was mm -hmm. a genuine, hardworking family man. Like... For all intents and purposes, he was a great husband, a great father. And it's unfortunate that this thing got so crazy that he kind of gets lost in the chaos, right? Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, like, there's no evidence at all that he was raping her, he was forcing sex on her, that he was violent towards her, controlling, manipulative, or anything else. Like, there was just no evidence at all other than he was just a good dude. Right. So, yeah, I'm glad you, you bring that up and hopefully people can kind of resonate that. Like, don't mm -hmm. don't get lost in the chaos. There is still a legit victim. So I am excited for next week's episode because it's a cross between 
Bonnie and Clyde, and Natural Born Killers. Look forward to seeing you. Stay safe. 